So we're continuing our study of Christian maturity. Um, we're uh, actually on our third week of studying this process of dialogue that brings us close together and what the mechanics of that is. I'm spending a bit of time on this because it's a, it's a really important thing to understand, not only uh, with regard to our relationship with God, but also with regard to literature, movies, speaking to each other, relationships. Um, maturity, as we've said, is a process. It's not an instantaneous thing. Uh, when Pastor Ben was talking about sanctification, uh, there was the initial bit of uh, sanctification called definitive sanctification that happens at, at uh, regeneration, but then there's progressive sanctification as well. And that's what maturity is all about. It's that continual process. It's uh, things changing all the time as God draws us uh, close to him, closer to him, and uh, makes us uh, understand him better and relate to him better. So it's an ongoing process. We don't know. I hope it goes on for eternity. Uh, We might have these ideas that while we are in heaven... And we know it all. Maybe that's the way it's going to be. I don't know. But for me now, one of my great pleasures is growing in my knowledge and relationship with God. I love that growing part. I couldn't have it all at once as a created person. I need step by step. We all do. And uh, one of my hopes is that step by step <clears throat> goes on for eternity, that God doesn't give it all to me at once. But he's in charge, so... We'll see how it goes. Um, Maturity, we often see as a goal in itself. We want to be mature, right? We want to be the grown-up in the room. We want to be the big brother, the big sister. Okay, we want to be the one in charge. Um, It is a goal in itself, but in that it's a process that's going and going and going, we can't really say that we've gotten there, okay? Uh, We hope again to um, continue in our maturity and our sanctification forever and ever as we enjoy each little bit. Um, maturity, to an extent, has, a, has to do with a state of completion. We've gotten to a particular part. Okay? It's like, a, it's like uh, making a trip across country, right? You get to St. Louis, but you're headed for the Southwest. You've made part of the journey. So there are steps of completion in maturity. Uh, We can see that we've reached a particular place, but then we want to continue uh, on and on. Um, Hard to imagine, again, that end goal, although we do have steps along the way that we can identify. So I spent some time on this, um, what I call the spiral of intimate relationships, I'm going to do a bit more on that, quite a bit more on that today, because I think it's really important to understand how this works. One thing I do want you to understand about this is that this is the way God made it for us in our relationship with him, okay? We can identify these things in literature, in movies, TV, uh, poetry, all kinds of things, and in our individual relationships as well. This is the way it works, okay? well-identified. We've talked about uh, some of the physiology and biochemistry of this as well. It's well-identified that this is how relationships work, okay? 
but it works that way that because, number one, that's the way God made it, okay? This is his method. The other thing, of course, is that it shows us him. Now, the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation declares the glory of God. So when we identify ways that we relate to each other, okay, it's also helping us to see how we relate to God as well. And I think this is really important. This is why we're spending a bit of time on it. Um, we're also going to get to, hopefully, at the end of this lesson, some application of this <coughs> with regard to God's guidance as well. But let's go again, uh, the spiral of inter- intimate relationships. Number one, this has to do with dialogue, has to do with verbal kinds of things. Uh, we've gone through this pattern before. We know that God works through his word. Uh, we cherish his word. We use it. Uh, we use other things, the other means of grace to dialogue with God, to praise him, to sing to him, to repeat to him what he has given to us. God started this. He's told us that this is the way it is. After all, again, he gives us the Bible. started very early. We know that in the beginning was the word, and that word is so very important. And because it's important because this is how we form our relationship with God. And I want you to all get this, this idea. I want you to understand what the pattern is. Because the pattern uh, as to how these things work has to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. So the pattern is very important. It's a set pattern. It's something we should really understand. Um, so this spiral of intimate conversation. Uh, remember we talked about uh, the wooer and the wooed. Talk about one person coming to another and uh, revealing a secret to that other person. Um, and also adding some wonder to that as well. So it tells a secret. Um, adds wonder to it. He's trying to get that other person that he's talking to to be interested in a relationship. So the wooer comes first. And he gives what's called the self-disclosure. He tells some, something about himself that perhaps nobody or few other people know. That's a very intimate thing to do, isn't it? We talked about the orthopedic surgeon with his motorcycle the last time and how that was a secret that he didn't want to reveal to anybody else but he had this interest in this young lady and so he reveals to her that he rides a motorcycle even though he's an orthopedic surgeon and should know better, right? After all the bones that are broken that he has fixed. So he reveals a secret about himself and then he adds a bit of stretch to it. In literature it's called stretch uh, a bit of um, add, add addition to that secret that makes it more interesting. So stretch or wonder, we might call it wonder also. So a secret with wonder, which he gives to this other person. And what happens in that other person when he or she hears that? Well, there's some biology that goes along with that. Secret is told, there's an and there's an indication of some intimacy. What happens in the listener, okay, and the person who's being wooed is that the dopamine in certain of their neurons in their brain increases. It increases inside the neuron. So the secret comes, okay, from the wooer. 
The wooed person hears it, secret plus wonder. Dopamine actually builds up in the brain. We can show this with imaging, okay? We can show this with active MRIs and those kinds of things, that this is actually what happens. So the dopamine builds up in the brain of the listener, and so they become interested. It builds up in the neurons. They become interested. They feel a bit of pleasure at this whole thing. Somebody's wanting to be intimate with you. That gives you pleasure, doesn't it? That person's, in, that person's interested in me. That always makes us feel good, doesn't it? So the dopamine builds up, and then that person who has received that secret tells the secret back to the wooer, okay? And it's at the point where they give their own secret back to the wooer. The wooed gives their secret back to the wooer, that that dopamine is released, okay? Interesting thing. So the dopamine builds up, gives you a little bit of pleasure, but then when you speak back, you speak back to that person who has revealed that secret to you, giving a secret of your own, again with some wonder or stretch, okay, is when that dopamine get re- gets released. Dopamine in your brain does a lot of different things. One of the things, it gives you a feeling of settledness, of pleasure, sometimes a stimulation. It makes your brain work better as well. So the release of that dopamine, the release of that in your brain, starts to cement this relationship, okay? So let's go through it again. The wooer tells a secret, embellishes it, wants it to be interesting. The wooed person receives it, dopamine builds up, gives a secret of her own or his own, okay, back. And that causes the dopamine to be released and actually causes actions within the brain. So what happens then in that wooed person, in the wooer person, the first person that gave the secret? What happens? Well, dopamine builds up in their brain and the conversation goes on. And each time you're developing this intimacy, maybe more secrets, maybe just an extension of the conversation that you're having, okay? That person who started that conversation builds up dopamine in their brain because they've heard something too. And then they talk back again. Dopamine gets released again. And this goes back and forth, okay? It goes back and forth. Dopamine builds up. The relationship builds up as this conversation continues. So at the outset, you know, when you hear something cool about somebody else, you go, wow, this is really neat. Well, in the outs- at the outset, this is only infatuation. It's really not a full relationship, okay? But as the conversation goes on, back and forth, not only uh, biochemically, but also your cerebrum is working. The thinking part of your brain is working. And so you're thinking about what this relationship is all about. Maybe you're anticipating. Maybe you're wanting to add more to the conversation, but the thinking goes on. So this relationship is this pings back and forth, becomes closer and closer and closer, and finally you end up in love. Finally, you have a love relationship, whether that's uh, with a family member, whether it's someone you don't know, whether it's your spouse, whatever. Finally, as this pings back and forth and the dopamine builds up, as the cerebrum continues to work, this relationship gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, you're in a love relationship. Just a quote from the author of one of the books I've been reading about this, 
We've heard this before, but I wanted you to hear it again. Uh, He says, in this process, uh, these two keep on exchanging wonder-enriched self-disclosures, okay? Secrets go back and forth with our wooer, creating a reciprocal cycle of dopamine, prime, and release. Dopamine is primed, and it's released. It's primed, and it's released, going back and forth. That makes us feel increasingly happy together and encourages us to disclose more personal details to each other until we've built an intimate emotional bond. The summary of what we've been talking about. So, um, what does that have to do with our relationship with God? Okay. God is the one who started this pattern, wasn't he? He gives you his word. Okay. Not only that, he gives you a lot of secrets. All right. He gives you a lot of things that people who are not Christian don't know. He's giving you an intimate secret. Not only that, he gives you a lot of stretch as well, a lot of wonder, doesn't he? Some of these things that we read in the Bible um, are fascinating. They're surprising, okay? They make you go, what? Are you serious? And then you read it further. You interpret Scripture with Scripture. You come to know God more and more. And it's because he's talking to us, okay? He gives us his word. And so we receive his word. Believe it or not, dopamine builds up in your brain when God reveals these things to you. You're reading your Bible. You're hearing a sermon, um, using the other means of grace to expand your relationship with God. Dopamine builds up in your brain, and you start talking back to God. And how do we do that? We've said before, big part of that is prayer, okay? You know, God knows what's in your mind. Holy Spirit is there. He knows what's going on in your head. But still, for you to be with God, to reveal to him what is something, something that is intimate in your mind, okay, even though God may know that secret, for you to tell him that, for you to pray to God with these things that are in your heart, does the same thing. It builds the relationship the same way. God is the wooer. We're the wooed, right? We know this paradigm. We know um, the romantic parts of our relationship with God, the bridegroom and the bride, right? This is the way it's talked about in the Bible. And it's because the same type of intimate relationship is building, and that intimate relationship is centered around the word. God speaks, we listen, we're fascinated, dopamine builds up in your head. You speak back in prayer. That prayer is so important. We talk a lot about prayer, but perhaps we don't understand it this deeply, okay? There's a lot of things in our heads that we don't say to God. You ask yourself why, okay? You think, well, that'd be stupid, right? Stupid to say that to God. Well, it's too trivial, or maybe I've got something else on my mind. But again, these are, this is an intimate conversation between you and God that goes back and forth, and it builds up, and it builds up until you have an intimate, deep relationship uh, with God. So that's why we study these things. And as we know, as with other things in creation, it's very consistent. Uh, God has established this pattern. 
We use the same pattern in our relationships with other people, okay? We see it in literature a lot, as we've said the last time, all the way back to Ur of the Chaldees, there's literature that shows this relationship. And why is it? Because this is the relationship. This is the verbal relationship that goes back and forth that God has given us. So, we have definitive sanctification, Pastor Ben described to us. We're regenerated. That's definitive sanctification. We're made a little bit better right there. We've drawn a bit away from our sin right there when we're regenerated. We've changed already. But then that sanctification continues to go on and on and on. Definitive sanctification followed by progressive sanctification. This dialogue goes on and on throughout our lives and throughout eternity. Uh, That relationship with God becomes more intimate all the time. Um, so we, we can, we've talked a bit before about things that get in the way of our relationships. Uh, we've talked about Augustine's concept of the curious and the studious. You remember the curious? I'll get my balls out here. I had too many balls the last time, someone told me. Uh, they thought I had too many balls in the air, so... It was hard to understand. So, left hand, this is the curious person, according to Augustine. The light goes through, but not very well, right? Can you see that that's translucent? Looks almost opaque, doesn't it? So the light actually has trouble getting in, but there's also not much that comes out of this either. We look at the, this is the curious person. This is the person who's closed in upon themselves, okay? Who wants knowledge and information for what purpose? For their own possession, right? For their own purposes, right? To make more money, to show how smart they are, okay? Maybe just to sit with that knowledge. A lot of people who like to read and study are seen to be that way. Well, he's up there in his room studying, but he's not giving that to anybody else. That's the curious person to Augustine. This is the studious person, we say this is the better person. This is the Christian person. You can see, you guys see the ball? It's pretty clear. You may not even be able to see it some on, online and whatever. It's a clear sphere. The light comes in and the light goes out. Okay, Very open relationship. This is a closed situation. This person is owning what he knows. He's not relating to other people very well. This person is open receiving, giving information. It's a very open relationship between the two. So what gets in the way of our verbal, verbal relationship with, um, with God? Well, if we're curious, if we're that person that's closed in, that dark ball, things have trouble getting out. It's almost like a, a, a billiard ball. Okay. One ball comes up against another, and what happens? They knock against each other and they fly apart, right? That's the relationship that the curious person, the one who is holding on to his information, holding on to his relationship has. But for the person who is represented by that clear ball, we've talked about immersion before. We've talked about being totally immersed in Christ, okay? Finally, you come together and you're a unit. We think about married relationships, right? 
We come together, we're a unit. We've built our relationship to the extent that we're one, right? That's what God describes to us. We are one again. And um, so that person who is regenerated, who is open to God, open to his neighbor, okay, becomes fused with those others. Might be his spouse, might be his Christian brothers and sisters. It's God, okay? We become immersed in God. You remember the picture from our last uh, handout, one sphere in type, in, inside of another, totally immersed in God. And what does that do for us? Our last lesson was on assurance. When you're totally immersed in God, you're assured. You have a love relationship with him. And we said last time, you can be assured to the extent that you don't even ask yourself if you're assured anymore, okay? We ask that question a lot in our church circles. Do I have assurance? People put that question to you all the time, okay? What is assurance? Do you have assurance? You know, we have doubts uh, about ourselves. Is our faith big enough? Do we know God well enough? Are we assured enough about ourselves and our relationship with God? This is not about being assured about God, okay? It's about being assured about ourselves and our relationship with him, okay? So as this relationship builds up, this conversation that we've talked about, eventually you're fused together, you're a unit, you're totally immersed in God to the extent that, um, to the extent that we may not even ask this question anymore. Do I have assurance about my relationship with God. That, that question may not come to you every day like it does sometimes in different periods of our life. We're so assured that we're not asking the question. We're looking at God. We're beholding him. We are seeing his glory, his beauty, and uh, we're seeing what he has revealed uh, about um, himself to us. So it's like the married relationship you guys probably know this by heart, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were a unit. They were immersed in one another, just like we become immersed in God. So that's, uh, again, a review of this process, this paradigm, how conversation works and how uh, God gave us this particular conversation, how he builds his relationship with us. It's verbal, okay? It makes sense. It's something you can think about and you can grow with. And if I, as I've told you before, and I think when I say this, everybody goes, ick, you know, but the pinnacle of verbal, uh, uh, verbal interaction is poetry, okay? Uh, poetry, constructed language, sounds beautiful, uh, has a particular thing to say, but also has a lot of subtle things to say as well. Um, again, I'll quote Pastor Snodgrass. He told me once, and this, this was so good, I'd never heard it before. He said, what's the best reading of a poem? Okay, what's the best reading? It's the one I do, you guys do? Well, the answer is the hundredth, okay? What that means, you read this over and over and over again, and finally you start to understand this poetry. We know poetry is important. Why? 
Anybody have an answer? Why do we know poetry is important? It's in the Bible, right? A lot of poetry in the Bible. So you can't say, ick, I hate poetry. You have to say, there's something here for me to know. You have to say, there's a secret here that God is trying to get through to us. He's developing that intimate relationship with us through his word, through the poetry uh, in the Bible. Um, Poetry, I want to just give it a little something to stick in your head maybe. Um, Poetry is meant to be listened to, okay? So we read the Psalms, we read the poetic books, okay? Poetry is really meant to be listened to. Even if, and I don't know a lot about Hebrew and that kind of thing, but I've done some reading. And um, a lot of what is transcribed into a poetic thing, looks like a poem in the Bible, uh, doesn't look that way in the Hebrew Bible. It's all kind of just straight lines and whatever. But there are certain things there that tell you that it is poetic. There might be repetition of words, there might be rhyming, there might be parallel concepts, there might be parallel sentences one after the other. Those are all po- poetic um, uses of words. But poetry, and, and poetry is meant to be heard. That's another way that they know that the stuff that's written in the Hebrew Bible is, is poetic because it's meant to be heard. It's meant to be listened to. So we say that that's oral, okay? Now I think probably most of you thought about oral, O-R-A-L, when I said that, okay? And that's it. These are what, what are homophones. Is that, it's words that sound alike but are, that are spelled differently. So we have oral and oral. We have O-R-A-L and we have A-U-R-A-L, okay? Oral means I took my pill orally and put it in my mouth and swallowed it, okay? Or I ate. That's oral, okay? But oral... A-U-R-A-L, sounds similar, very similar. That means hearing, okay? So poetry is meant to be oral and aural, okay? Meaning it's meant to be read out loud, and it's meant to be heard, okay? We read poetry, that's good. If you really get into poetry, what happens when you read it is you start to hear it. You're not just looking at words on a page like when you're reading the newspaper, okay? When you read a poem, if you're into poetry, you start to hear the poetry. So it's oral, it's spoken, and it's heard as well. It's oral and oral, okay? But I just want to make the point of how important um, uh, poetry is, how important verse is. We're talking about a relationship to God through the word, Okay, through his speaking to us. And this is one of the big ways that God speaks to us is through poetry. It's oral, it's oral. We should be reading it to one another, hearing it, speaking it, and that's the way you're going to get the most out of it. Um, So one of the other things, that one of our other themes in the past has been the relationship between uh, the spiritual parts of our religion and what we see in nature, okay? We talked a bit about that today, all this dopamine stuff, right? That's nature, that's God's creation. We see how it relates to the spiritual aspects, to our relationships with God and uh, also with the beauty that we see in Christ, okay? So 
there is, um, we, we've wanted to show the relationship between uh, the creation and the spiritual parts of our relationship. And many writers, um, many good Christian writers, you may not see it, you may not notice it right away, but are putting creation in their poetry, beautiful poems about um, nature, what they see, and yet the, we see in a deeper look at that, on maybe the hundredth reading again, we may see that that's talking really about God. It's describing God. We've uh, read some Wordsworth. What do you guys think about reading Wordsworth? That made you make you feel like you're up here in terms of your education? It should. Wordsworth is a very good poet. just wanted to read a quote uh, about Wordsworth in this way. We've read some poems. The world is too much with us. You may remember that from a few weeks ago, meaning that the world is too much with us for us not to notice that God is there. That's the point of that poem. That poem has been used education. I remember when I was in high school and college, and they, got, they always got the wrong interpretation. It was like, the world is too much with us. We need to get away from it, okay? That's not what the poem is talking about. The world is too much with us for us not to see God in that world. So uh, one of the great um, critics, poetry critics from, our, um, from the last century, his name is Cleanth Brooks, he says this. He says, Wordsworth, in short, was consciously attempting to show his audience that the common was really uncommon and the prosaic was really poetry. The common was really uncommon. He described uh, Wordsworth described nature a lot. And people would say, oh, it's great nature poetry. That's beautiful. But that was the common that he was describing. And within that common, there was the uncommon. There was God that you could see in those descriptions of uh, the natural world. Uh, and then the prosaic was really poetry. What we're saying to each other really turns into poetry. Robert Frost would tell us that we all speak in iambic pentameter, okay? You guys might say ick at that too. You guys are speaking poetry all the time. Iambic pentameter, I'm not going to give you the details of what that means, but basically it has to do with um, how much you can speak in a single breath, okay? That's pentameter. And so because we're built a particular way, God made us a particular way, there's only so many syllables that we can say in a single breath, Okay, some people work at it and they can do longer ones. But our normal speech, if you listen to each other, you know, get distracted a little bit when you're talking to somebody and say, is that iambic pentameter? Well, it is. We can speak. We speak in iambic pentameter because that's the way God made us. That is the common, which is really sort of uncommon. So think about that a little bit. See if you can spell it, too. It's not easy to spell. But at any rate, I wanted I put in your handout this poem. Um, it's called A Complaint, uh, again, by Williams, William Word, Word, Wordsworth. And um, this has to do with this change of information, okay? This talking back and forth between two people, okay? And whether the message is getting through or not. We've had those conversations uh, together. You've had them with many people where you're saying a whole bunch of stuff and it doesn't seem to connect. Whoever you're talking to is not listening. 
Or maybe you're not speaking well enough for those people to listen. You're not giving that wonder as part of your speech, you know. It's a classic uh, man and woman in, in their first encounter with one another, and the man goes on and on and on and on and on and on, and the woman's going like this, right? She's bored because he hasn't really given anything to her that would want, to make, want her to uh, listen, would want, would, that would make her want to listen. So um, let's look at this uh, complaint by Wordsworth. This is a poem about where things don't connect so well. It goes like this. There is a change, and I am poor. Your love hath been, nor long ago, a fountain at my fond heart's door, whose only business was to flow, and flow it did, not taking heed of its own bounty or my need. What happy moments did I count? Blessed was I than all bliss above. Than all bliss above. Now for that consecrated fount of murmuring, sparkling, living love, what have I, shall I dare to tell, a comfortless and hidden well? A well of love, it may be deep, I trust it is, and never dry. What matter if the waters sleep in silence and obscurity, such change, and at the very door of my fond heart, hath made me poor. What he's saying is that we assume it's a, it's a woman who's been talking. They've been having this conversation back and forth, okay? Been speaking to one another back and forth. And, so, and suddenly, there's a block. He's no longer receiving what uh, she, has, she is giving to him. He says, there is a change, and I am poor. Your love hath been, nor long ago, a fountain at my fond heart's door. A font. She is speaking to him. They're sharing intimate uh, conversation. Whose only business was to flow, and flow it did. Okay, her conversation. Her only purpose was to have that conversation flow. Not taking heed of its own bounty or my need. I'll have you guys read this poem over and over and over again. But what he's saying is, there's a lot being said by whoever's speaking to him, but it's not being said in a way that he can receive it. There's a block. What happy moments did I count? Blessed was I, then all bliss above. Now for that consecrated fount, a murmuring, sparkling, living love, what have I? She's speaking a lot, but he's saying, what do I have? I don't have anything as a result. Shall I dare to tell a comfortless and hidden well? Great big well of this that she spilled out to him, and yet he feels like he doesn't have anything. A well of love, it may be deep. I trust it is and never dry. He's speculating about what she's saying. What matter if the waters sleep in silence and obscurity? If you're speaking back and forth, it's not being received. Who cares is what he's saying. Such change and at the very door of my fond heart hath made me poor. If it's not being received, if it's not said in a way, if you don't have that relationship, what good is it? And we know this. We have our whole Bible, right? There's a big font, isn't it? There's a lot there, a lot of secrets, a lot of things that God tells us in that Bible. And it's at the door, isn't it? How are we receiving it? How are we getting that word in Wordsworth poems beautifully sent? There can be a block there. And where is that block? Usually it's with us, isn't it? Um, 
could talk about a lot of things in the Bible in that regard. Revelation 3.20. I'm sorry, I don't know if I have all this in your handout or not. But Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Exactly what Wordsworth was saying, wasn't it? There's this font. Jesus is speaking here, right? There's this font of knowledge, of intimacy that I'm giving you, okay? And yet, there are people who are not receiving that word. We don't receive it very well, do we? We may be very early, or we may be in one of those ups and downs of our relationship with God, where we're not receiving that font that he gives to us. Matthew 25.10, and while they were going to, going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Okay, we're talking about intimate relationships again. Marriage feast, the door was shut, okay? No longer have access to that word, do we? If we are not participating in that conversation. Luke 13, 25, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you came from. Um, are we listening? Are we having that conversation? The reason I give you this paradigm, this, this method, this thing that happens in intimate conversation is because both parts are important. We can read, we can analyze the Bible, we can know it kind of academically, but are we talking back? Is there that other side of the conversation or not? Are you praying? Are you really giving your intimacies to God, which results in that growth of this intimate love relationship with God? Are you doing that or not? That closes the door. You know, if we're not in prayer, if we're not revealing what we see as our deepest thoughts to God, we've closed the door, okay? What Wordsworth talks about, what the Bible talks about in so many places. Uh, Acts 14, 27, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. He had opened a door of faith. Again, we're regenerated. We have that interest. But if we're going to grow in Christ, we have to hear what God says to us, and we have to talk back to him. We have to give him those uh, intimate things in our mind if we are truly going to grow in relationship with him. I think I put in your handout the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 13. This is on sanctification. Uh, Pastor Ben used this in his class a few weeks ago. Uh, a lot of things here that, that line up with what we have been talking about. Uh, they who are once effectually called and regenerated, their minds are open. They go from that dark sphere to that open sphere, okay? Maybe they're not completely open yet. Remember the translucent sphere and the clear sphere? Once effectually called and regenerated, they're opening up. Having a new heart and a new spirit created in them are further sanctified really and personally, okay? They're further sanctified really and personally. Why those two words, really and personally? They are truly sanctified. Even in the eyes of God, they are functioning better in their relationship and in their life uh, giving up sin. They are really sanctified, but they're also personally sanctified. Inside, okay, they're 
sanctified as well. Their relationship with God is growing through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them. Isn't that one of the biggest secrets that God has told us? Those biggest self-disclosures when we talk about this language back and forth? God's biggest self-disclosure is what? Is Christ died for our sins, right? That's a, that's a pretty good secret. There's a lot of people in the world that don't understand that. A lot of people that you know, that I know. A lot of people in our families that don't understand that. God has given us that intimate piece of information. Uh, later on, we'll see from, from Ferguson, who is the author of the book we're using as a guide, that until we have this piece of the secret, okay, until we have this secret in us, that Christ died from our sins, no other sanctification is going to happen, okay? Until we have that, until we dwell with that, until it builds in our minds, um, this particular self-disclosure, this secret that God has given us, uh, until we have that, um, we um, will not grow in, in sanctification. We will not grow in relationship with him. Through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, by his word and spirit dwelling in them, the conversation again, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified. Okay? We're sanctified. And they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Okay? We are sanctified. We grow in a relationship. Sanctification is that uh, growth in that conversation. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life, increasing as we go along, right? There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part uh, doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And again, how does this happen? Okay, God is sovereign, Holy Spirit sovereign. But how is, what are the mechanics of this? The mechanics of this is God speaks to us, okay, through his word, through the means of grace. He speaks to us. And we speak back. If there aren't both parts, okay, it doesn't happen very well. Maybe we won't say it doesn't happen at all, but if you don't have that back and forth, if you don't have that conversation is so well depicted in uh, the Bible and in literature, uh, then we will not grow. Um, let's see. Hold on, there's only three minutes left, okay? Only three minutes of poetry left, all right? So what does this mean in terms of the choices that you make, uh, how you live? You know, this is very basic now. Are you, uh, are you um, availing yourself to the Bible? Are you speaking back to God? Uh, these are some choices that we make, aren't they? Whether we speak back or not. Uh, from another poem, I won't read you the whole thing, uh, it's called Advice to a Prophet. Uh, it's by Richard Wilbur. It says, um, 
This is advice to a prophet. He's speaking to a prophet now. He says, when you come, as you soon must, when you, the prophet, come, as you soon must, to the streets of our city, mad-eyed from stating the obvious, not proclaiming our fall, but begging us in God's name to have self-pity. Okay? Isn't that a lot of what God does with us? A lot of when you're preaching, okay, begging us to have self-pity. We know the facts, but that self-pity is what? Will I avail myself uh, of God or not? Will I have that pity upon myself to really make that effort to converse with him? Not, not proclaiming our fall. We know our fall. We know our limitations. But the prophet is saying, and if you read who are prophets, you'll see this is a lot of what they're saying. They're calling the people of God to have self-pity, to engage with him, to grow in their relationship with him. Um, let's see here now. So we, I think we've defined this um, uh, pretty well, just a little bit here on guidance. Again, guidance has to do with this conversation. How do you get guidance from God? Okay, how do you get guidance from God? We can say, well, we'll go to the Bible and we'll read the Bible and relate it to what we see day by day. Okay, but what we know now, what we've demonstrated, Bible, literature, physiology, is unless there's two parts of this conversation, you really won't get that guidance. We've known people, you've known people, I've known people that know their Bible inside out. Okay, they may not even be Christian. They may be academics who know their Bibles, who translate the Bible, who do all kinds of things, but who are not believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? That happens. And what is missing, of course, is that regeneration, but also what is missing, some people are regenerated, but they haven't grown very much. And if, they're, if you're going to get guidance from God, we're always, going to, we're always asking, aren't we, how do I know what to do? Okay. Take this job or that job, move here, move there, make this decision, make that decision. I want to do this under God. How do we do it? Okay. Well, we go study the Bible. We see how that applies to what we're doing, right? And we try to apply it. But the other part of that, which is essential, okay, we know, I hope I've demonstrated that well to you, it's essential that you talk back to God. It's not just talking back to say, to ask the question, what do I do? The other part of talking back is praise, thanksgiving. It's asking for sure, okay? Um, it's, all of that is important if you're going to have guidance from God. You can't get guidance from God unless you have that ongoing, growing relationship. And again, I want to emphasize to you that that relationship is dependent on both sides of the conversation. And very often we're missing on our side of the conversation. That praise, is praise a secret that you give to God? It is a secret. We each pray God, we each praise God differently. We have different things that we praise God for. We have different ways of praising him. But it's a very intimate thing to praise God. And that's why you're part of that intimate conversation. Praising God is so important. Thankfulness, too. Nobody will ever know but you and God how very thankful you are for anything and whether you are thankful or not. That's intimate conversation. That's a secret that you give to God. 
It's a self-disclosure, and it's very intimate. Until you do those things, until you have that conversation, uh, you really can't get guidance from God until you've grown in him a bit, until you continue to grow. And, of course, God uses providence to, to have us grow, but unless we have that conversation with God, we are not going to grow uh, in our relationship with him, and we're not going to be able to use the guidance that he has provided for us. So we'll continue next time with um, more on guidance. Um, try to think about it between now and then. It's a very it's a cryptic topic again. How do we get guidance from God? What is God's guidance? Do I do this? Do I do that? Um, it's a difficult uh, topic, but there is a lot to, to say with regard to our conversation with God in terms of uh, how guidance comes to us. So we'll, we'll be breaching that topic the next time. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you 